Hello, this is Ted Rawl from the left, and you are listening to the Friday, August 20th, 2021 edition of DMZ America. And with me is... I'm Scott Stannis coming to you from the right. And I always wonder why, I mean, remember it was 2001, A Space Odyssey? It was going to be the year 2000, right? That's you know, the Y2K, 2000. And all of a sudden we started saying 20. I knew that would happen because um, there was sort of like a <laughs> yeah. similar situation in the early 1900s where people were like, well, it's 1900, it's 1901. But at a certain point, it was, I, I know what you mean. It's like, okay, so there's going to be, it had to go from 19 to 20. It was going to be too cumbersome to be like 2027, you know? Okay. I, I it just, it just strikes me as weird because leading up to it. It's I'm, shorter. Being a, you know, a, a child of a certain age, and it was always going to be, oh, the year 2000, you start doing the math, there's a good chance I'll be alive. Well, 2000 is three syllables. And obviously 20 is two. And I think that's why, because people are just, they just go over the shorter thing. I mean, look, uh, we live in a country where, you know, if you have uh, a a polysyllabic first name, it has to be reduced. Like my legal name is Frederick. And, you know, there was no way that you could get kids not to say Fred when I was, when I was a little kid. And then when they found out my middle name was Theodore, there was no way they couldn't make it Ted or inexplicably Teddy, which is longer. I don't know. (laughs) Well, Scott. Americans are dumb. You know, Scott is one of those names, which I hate because I was the fourth of four boys and it was really just like, well, what's popular right now? You know? And so uh, it could have been, you know, jumpers, which would have been cool. No, 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 no. We're not going to get into the whole jumpers thing. That's a whole podcast right there. Uh, Without a doubt, our our most poorly rated that that will be. Um, But although possibly the most uh, antagonistic, it it might come to blows. It's a good thing that you're that we we live about 1500 miles apart. Um, We just might. (laughs) Not jumpers. Anyway. Afghanistan is continuing to unwind, or at least that story is continuing forward. I mean, what 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 can we learn from you, Ted? What have you learned that we didn't know a few days ago? Well, um, so we it's important to understand first of all, you know, this is a brand new revolution, right? I mean, they're just figuring it out. It's a brand new country, essentially, even though, of course, the Taliban ruled. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, but it's a different deal. So, you know, it's like when Joanne Lai was asked by uh, Henry Kissinger what he thought of the French Revolution, and, uh, and Lai, famous, uh, Joe famously responded, it's too early to tell. Uh, well, it's, it's definitely <laughs> too early to tell. Um, you know, the, the Taliban have only been in power for a few days, um, and right now their biggest problem, uh, their biggest challenge is not... Uh, is really money. Um, the Western allies, the United States, have frozen all $9 billion of uh, Afghanistan's assets uh, that are mostly held in American and other Western bank accounts. Uh, there was, the IMF had approved about half a billion dollars uh, that was on its way, but that's been frozen at the insistence of the Biden administration. And, you know, the, it's an interesting situation for all concerned because, uh, you know, Taliban or not, uh, there are lights to keep on. Uh, there's sewage um, that needs to be processed. Uh, you know, they, they have to run a government. Um, and w- without that infrastructure, the trash is starting to pile up. 
it becomes a public health issue. Uh, it's and you're talking about you know there's no charitable way to put it. Afghanistan is the biggest welfare state in the world. The entire country is the entire economy is completely dependent on foreign aid, and most of which finds it, found its way into the pockets of of uh, of 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 people who you know are, were in the officials? former government. I'm shocked. Shocked. Ex- exactly. Now, of course. Now you've got a situation where people in, uh, so, you know, the Taliban are collecting revenues uh, from border crossings, trucks crossing the border to and from other countries. So there's some, some revenue, but the point is that it's money's very tight. Uh, they want, they know that they're not going to get access to those funds without diplomatic and international recognition, the seat at the UN, the donors aren't going to, are going to cut off aid. So it's, a, it's really a 50, 50 situation. If, if uh, there are more reports of, say, Hazaras being killed, as happened a few days ago, uh, up in the northern part of the country um, before the complete takeover, or there's uh, more reports of uh, journalists and other people being hunted down by the Taliban, it's going to be hard for the international community to come together and 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 release those funds. Is, and, that, what's, is uh, that what's going on with the reports we're getting now that... Um you know, uh, like, you know, women, women have been assured they can finish going to school as long as where they wear a hijab, um, you know, nothing. And the, 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 the press agent, at least for the, this Taliban group of Taliban that came into Kabul are saying, you know, everything is fine. Remain calm. This is, we're not the monsters you think we are. Is that what this is all about then is trying to unlock those funds? Well, I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, uh, the this is the this is the playbook of any revolutionary government is to say, listen, we were violent revolutionaries before, but now uh, we have taken over and we want to live in peace and harmony with the rest of the world. Um, it's important to understand that that may actually be the intent of the leadership of the Taliban or a significant part of it. But like in the United States, the Taliban is a geographically and ideologically and tribally disparate and highly decentralized movement. So there are people there who are very well educated uh, from Western universities. There are people who are complete backwater hicks and everything in between. There's people who uh, in there who don't care about Sharia law and enforcing it against women, others who care about it a great deal. Uh, So the messaging that's coming from the top shura, which is the governing council, currently is, look, you know, we are not your father's Taliban. We, girls are going to go to school. Women are going to work. We let women journalists uh, interview us on national television and keep their jobs. Um, you know, we're, we want business to be open. We don't want to change anything, really. So um, the ultimate and then, quest, the quest, follow-up question to that is then, do we, believe, do we trust them? Or is this just like a, a stop, stop, um, gap moment to be, like you said, we're not your father's Taliban, we're kinder and gentler. It's a wait and see moment, I think, for the for the West. You know, it's kind of like, look, I think it's fair to say that the Taliban have a tremendous burden of proof uh, after their behavior from 1996 to 2001. Uh, and I don't really just mean the allegations about them harboring al-Qaeda, but like blowing up the Bamiyan Buddha statues, smashing relics in the National Museum, and, you know, generally acting like assholes for five years. Um, you know, people are looking at them and saying, okay, well, you know, prove that you're different. The, the challenge for the Taliban is going to be to maintain internal discipline, because it's in the same way that, let's say, you get a new police chief who says, hey, quit shooting black guys. 
Um, but there's always some asshole black cop who, who decides that he likes the old ways and wants to do that. Is that, is that rogue, is that cop a rogue or is that cop just part of an organization that has a nasty ideology? That's what we have to kind of figure out about the Taliban now. Are they, you know, are, are they going to, I would say that probably the best thing they could do would be to harshly discipline any kind of infractions among their own fighters. If they do that, that's going to send probably the strongest possible signal that uh, you know they can that we might be able to trust them. So let's roll it over to the Biden administration. And how do you think they handled all this, Ted? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know I, I don't understand. I'll tell you what I don't understand. Even if you don't care about the humanitarian aspect of the Afghan nationals who helped us, which I do, um, I. I think it's you have to think about the fact that if rescuing Americans is your top priority, why would you not process the Afghans first months ago and just so that they're not yeah. underfoot yeah. at the airport? You know what I mean? Yeah. So get them out of the way. And it would have been very easy. I know that the, the, the Ashraf, Ashram, uh, Ashraf Ghani administration asked Biden please don't uh, evacuate these folks yet because it'll make it look like you guys are cutting and running because of course you're cutting and running. And <laughs> they were, and, and I get that, but there was a way to thread that needle. What they could have done is, is they were, I just read today in the New York Times that the, the Biden administration was processing 100 P, uh, applications per week. Now they need about a, a week. Now it's starting in January. Now, now by my count, uh, that's 400 a month. Uh, it's been seven months. That's under 3,000 people. And get this, they stopped processing the 100 a week uh, due to COVID. So they basically didn't process anyone. They need to get about 80 to 100,000 Afghans out. Uh, they didn't do anything. And what they should have done is process them en masse starting back in January and February, and then given a QR code to everybody who was approved to leave, and then just told them, look, sit tight. When the call comes, you're going to get a text on your phone, make your way to the airport. An yeah, American yeah, yeah. soldier with an iPad is going to scan you in. You're going to run into the back of a transport and you're going to leave. That's it. Um, this is not really so hard. Um, it's a, it's a level of, staggering level of incompetence. And also, by the way, I'd also like to say it's very shameful that uh, the French, you know, vive la patrie, uh, it <laughs> are, they are, are balls out going into Kabul and finding their nationals past Taliban lines and, and bringing them to the airport. And, and they, they got all their people out, that last report. Um, oh the Brits also sent out commandos to do the same thing. Um, there's other countries that are doing the same thing. Guess who's not doing that for their citizens? The U.S. Well, I was going to say Guam. But oh, <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, the Guamians are balls out. They're on top of it. <laughs> we love the Guamians. Um, I mean, so on the fuck up a meter of one to 10, this this whole Afghan thing has been a what? I give it about a nine. Um, you know, no nuclear weapons were used, so it doesn't quite get a 10. <laughs> but but I mean, the thing is, because it's, you know, I don't like a lot. I don't I don't watch sports, so I don't really do a lot of sports analogies. But this is really a, a an unforced error. Right. I mean, this was like they knew this was coming. Um, they knew the top. I mean, we're just talking about a matter of degrees, Scott. I mean, the Biden administration thought that Kabul was toast 
by November or December, sorry, by the end of the year. I thought it was October or November and it happened in August. I mean, it's a matter of months. What's the difference? No big deal, really. They should have taken care. They, they should have planned for this. This was all eminently predictable. And apparently, according to the State Department cable that was released today in the media, uh, it was predicted, completely yeah. predicted. Yeah. Well, not least of which by you. Um, you know, you couple this with uh, Biden's uh, border policy fuck up. I mean, uh, the, the fuck ups just keep on piling up here. Um, and not in the fun way. <laughs> yeah, Scott, what would you what would you have done different at the Mexican border? I thought Trump I thought Trump had half of a policy that I agreed with, which would have been, yes, build a wall. Walls work. Walls are effective, but also have a small L liberal immigration policy. That is Juan wants to cross over, work for a landscaping firm. As he crosses, there's a card and it has we can even swab their cheeks. I'm not a big fan of taking someone's DNA, but let's go full full frontal draconian here you you get you have that you fingerprint them and then you send them on their way you know they're here you track Um, them you can track them it's hard but you can do it i mean you've just mentioned how inefficient our intelligence agencies are i mean i I don't trust this government to do anything right uh but that that that's so that's that's that would be have been my policy it would have been a carrot stick kind of thing close the border because you can't be a, a a state a legitimate state without legitimate borders and um and then, i agree with you and then you go and then you also like i said you let people in because two things have happened to our economy and to our country it's gotten older the latest census numbers are i mean there's just a bunch of codgers running the place and two it grows the economy that's and that's how we've done it for the last hundred years is immigration or, or 150 years right i mean the you know big the big migrations of the germans and the irish in the middle of the 19th century and so on can you name the number, the one country in Europe that has the fewest number of immigrants to the U.S.? Ooh, Lithuania? No, we uh, Chicago was actually had a bigger uh, popula- Lithuanian population than Vilnius. Fewest, fewest, fewest. But you're close. Mm. You're close genetically. Estonia, Latvia. France. No, you and me. Really, France. Yeah. Well, okay. Listen, okay. Here's the thing. Well, what? But what about the French who were here? Be- <laughs> Do we count the ones who were here like as trappers? you know, catching beavers and stuff before the revolution. In terms of percentage of immigrants to the United States, France is far behind everybody else. But think about it. You've got a great country. It has an ocean, has a couple of beach, has a lot of beaches. And your main focus of the culture is good wine. Food and wine. Food and sex. I'm trying to see which part of those three things I don't like. Oh, wait, none of them. (laughs) Although that's pretty remarkable, though. I mean, you know, the vast majority, we think of the 19th century as the great uh, century of immigration right into the U.S. But, you know, that was a time of incredible turmoil in France. I mean, but they still had good wine and the cheese was, and the fromage was magnifique. Bien sûr. <laughs> that's, that is fat. Well, that's like the other great, you know, two other factoids about France that I think are fascinating. World War II related. Number one, a Nazi occupied Europe. France had the highest survival rate of Jews. And, you know, considering that they didn't exactly behave great, uh, that's kind of remarkable. Um, remarkable. uh, Estonia had Estonia uh, killed all of them down to the last one. Um, And then there was uh, and then also France, apparently, by some measures, suffered the most starvation in Nazi occupied Europe. Really? Yeah. The the Nazi policy was to uh, that they weren't worth wasting bullets on. It's just just take all their food 
and starved. I guess it's like with the French, hit them where it hurts. <laughs> if you take away all the food and disdain, you've pretty much wiped them <laughs> off the face of the planet. Listen, by the way, to our listeners, the reason we go out, we're going on this tangent is that, and, and Ted mentioned earlier, I'm Lithuanian. My name is, I'm a quarter Lithuanian, but Ted's what, half French? I'm three quarters French. Um, so we have that going for us that i just just wanted to met, tell or people against why in the defending. hell are they going on this french kick yeah yeah that's we'll end up we'll, and and this is why whenever I, and i do I, I have a stirring in my loins whenever i think of uh well french women but also when i think of the french <laughs> uh, the french paratroopers going out into the streets of kabul and getting their people because yes. french citizenship counts for something that's badass that really is so getting back to the, the discussion of biden biden the fuck ups are piling up even as we speak. The, I, I, I'm going to see if I can get a piece of this interview and drop it in here or send you a piece of it. But uh, the um, the Stephanopoulos interview of, of President Biden, and he's just crotchety and mean and short and petty. And I'm thinking that's Alzheimer's. I mean, that's that's early onslaught right there. And not so early. Maybe not, maybe not so early anymore, right? I mean, he, he definitely had... That, you know, for anybody who's dealt with a relative uh, or, or, or a friend who went through Alzheimer's, man, the signs are right there. It's it's sad to watch. It's terrifying to consider the fact that he's the president of the United States. But, yeah, he was confused. Um, he made a, you know mistakes that nobody, as far as I know, has even mentioned uh, in the Stephanopoulos interview. I mean, it might not sound like much, but he said, uh, you know, we only had until May after I was inaugurated. That only gave us two months. And I'm like, mm, that's oh. you should be able you should be able to do better than that. President of the United States, Joseph wow. R. Biden. Right. And you could say that, you know, screw ups happen. We have verbal trip ups all the time. But um not as often as he does in something as basic as being able to count from January to May. Right. Which is, by the way, it might sound stupid, but it's like, but you know, this is the, the U S government is a business. It deals with a lot of financial transactions, um, you know, dates and deadlines and international treaties. You, you know, you should, I used to work as a banker. I got to the point where I could tell you exactly, um, you know, how many days there were between say April 9th and November 7th. You know, I mean, you just, it's like, boom, 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 you know, and to the day, you have to well, be able to know that. There's just more and more. And I, I, you know, I come back to what, what we've mentioned before, which is I do believe the president should have a yearly physical. It, the results should be totally uh, released and in, including that physical is a cognitive test. I mean, and, of course, obviously, I mean, we don't, there's no, just, there's no just, doubt. You know, we talked about Trump's cognitive inabilities or abilities and or psychological problems yeah which we so that was fair game this is fair game but ted and you know this better than i do because you're from the left you are of the left you have lefty friends and so many of them have fallen into this we're going to protect this guy at all costs it's ridiculous i mean people are protecting him uh they're they're saying that nobody could have seen this coming Horse oh my shit. god there's even um, I forget her name. She was at the Washington Post. I'm having a Biden moment, but she had an inter- She had a column yesterday, <laughs> and she was running interference. She's from the right, and she was running interference for Biden, basically parroting 
all of the administration's talking points about Afghanistan and, and trying to defend their dismal performance there. I mean, for the record, right, let's just say you and I both agree that we should have been out of Afghanistan. This is about but, you know, this is what, what we've just been witnessing is a classic example of, you know, avoidable uh, consequences of poor execution. Right. Yeah. You could absolutely, yeah. you know, I mean, look, were some people going to die in, a, in the revolutionary takeover by an armed insurgent group? Yes. Um, you know, no. By the way, parenthetically, we should. Nobody talks about this. Very few people die. Right. I yeah. Mean, oh, yeah. Very few. Because they didn't, because they rolled over and they joined or they went home. Um, So, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's pathetic. I mean, I'm I'm ashamed of Democrats. They, they should know better. I mean, well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, whenever, like during the last, during four years of Donald Trump, Democrats went on and on and on. Why won't Republicans admit that Donald Trump is a psychotic as, you know, nativist, racist asshole. Why won't they like kick him to the curb? Why won't they admit it? And, you know, it's a legitimate question, except for the fact that now that a Democrat is in the White House, there, you know, you have Republicans sort of saying, like, why won't you admit that he's a senile, demented asshole? And they, like, well, no, he's not. They, I mean, the, it's just team politics, they're in denial. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pathetic, it's ridiculous. Well, then we have, you know, President Harris, which would be, oh, so joyful. Um, Listen, rolling this forward, though, here's the thing. You know, you've got the defenders of Biden on the irrational defenders of Biden on one hand. You have the irrational defenders of Trump on the other. We are looking at very what to me looks clear as crystal a in 2024, a Biden versus Trump rematch. It does look like that unless it's a Harris versus Trump matchup. And I think he beats her. I think that's right. I think Biden stands a better chance in his dismal state uh, than Harris does. Look, and Biden beat Harris in the primaries to begin with. Harris didn't come close. She washed out early on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I guess, look, she has a remarkable um, opportunity to take advantage of the vice presidency and use it as a sort of bully pulpit to to make herself um, uh, more of a, a well-known, well-liked and respected national figure. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, maybe the Biden folks aren't letting her shine. That's entirely possible. Maybe yeah, she's I, awesome and we don't see it, but but whatever, we're not seeing mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. regardless of why. I think that they, they tried to, try, tr- tr- you know, put her on the handcart, took her down to Guatemala. She, Fuck that up royally. And then she comes back and has that interview where she sounds like, you know, like, you know, and again, I love this line. So I'm going to reuse it. I wish it was mine. It's not. But they, you know, she was described by one reporter as Hillary without the charm. Um, that's how she comes off. And it's not like I have yeah. to, you know, I don't have to love my elected officials. I do have to respect them. And she hasn't shown any level of intellect that I go, wow, you know, she may be like a complete dick, but. By gum, she she obviously knows what she's talking about. She's got a firm grasp of things. Okay, that's- well, I don't think, and I also don't think she gives a shit about people. I mean, look, Joe Biden in large part got elected uh, in because people thought that Donald Trump um, was uh, an uncaring, cold-hearted person. Right, that was a big part of it. Yeah, um, yeah. And and Biden was had the reputation of being warm and fuzzy, and uh, that you know he was just like a glad-handing kind of you know, folksy kind of dude. 
And, um, you know, he may have, there may have been some truth to that, although I don't know that Anita Hill might share that <laughs> yeah, uh, particular uh, just... view of him. Um, but uh, she, but he definitely, um, you know, I mean, but, but Kamala Harris, I'm sorry, she just projects cold, technocratic meanness. She, she seems cruel, really. Yeah. And, yeah. and she like, she doesn't care about people. So 2024 Biden versus Trump two the rematch you and I, I mean, I'm of the right. You're of the left. There is no way I did not vote for Donald Trump. Um, nor did and I, I vote, didn't vote. No, nor did I, I vote, vote for, for Ditto. I didn't vote for Joe Biden either. I voted for, um, Oh gosh, not Jill Jorgensen, the, uh, uh, the libertarian candidate you voted green. I believe I did. And here's the thing. You and I both catch Holy hell. For voting third party. And I, I want to mm. take this moment. So for you and I to stand up, you and I disagree on everything. Look, the, look at who we vote for on third party. I vote libertarian. You vote socialist or green, right? I mean, that's right. We can't, but absolutely totally agree on voting for third parties and for allowing third parties to have unfettered access to every ballot in all 50 states and the territories, period. Um, the, the choice we have in 2024 is a senile old man against a senile old man, one of whom is doddering, the other one is just mean and, and, and misogynist and fascist. Um, the other one just doesn't really seem to know precisely where he is. Uh, so it's, that's not a choice. Now, wouldn't it be great? We talked briefly uh, on a phone call yesterday about the 2016 election. And um, uh, what was her name? Jill Stein, right? Uh, the, yeah. the, the Green Party candidate in the Hillary campaign. Now, Democrats, don't you dare thr thrust this on Trump. There was the Hillary Clinton campaign that went after Stein and went after um, uh, uh, Johnson, uh, Gary Johnson, the libertarian candidate, because Gary Johnson was gaining. He was getting double double digits, 12, 13 percent in the polls, which means he would have been in the in the debates. Now, how different would that election have been? If Gary Johnson had been on that stage with the likes of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and then now add add Jill Stein, the Hillary campaign continued to blast away at Stein because they felt that that would erode some votes from them, uh, and it did. And we're not talking just rhetorically. They filed lawsuits uh, in places like Wisconsin to to get Jill Stein off the ballot. But but the, the behind the scene rumor mill that the, the Clintons seemed to love so very, very much said that she was crazy. Stein was, Dr. Stein was crazy, that she was completely not, uh, you know, unqualified for the job, that her grasp of the issues was vague at best. She came into the, to the editorial. Oh, don't board. forget she, that she was a Russian agent too. Oh, there's that of course, which, yeah, well, we elected that one. <laughs> <laughs> Ended up there in that. Um, she came in for an editorial board meeting at the Chicago Tribune. So I got to sit with her for an hour and a half and talk and listen to her thoughts and listen to her thought processes. And while that's not, you know, enough time to learn the soul of a person, it certainly gives you enough time to realize that this is a smart, engaged person who's putting themselves out there, who's getting buffeted like crazy from a very evil slant hit machine from the Clintons. Uh, and, you know, if she was on that stage, if Gary Johnson was on that stage, both. I'm, not, I'm not sure who would have won that election. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, you know, the negatives on both the Democratic and the Republican nominees in 2016 were very high. Yeah. Um, they were staggeringly high. So, uh, you know, either Johnson or Stein might have made 
enough of a positive impression to end up with at least sort of a 1924 Robert LaFollette kind of outcome where, uh, you know, it was a significant turnout or maybe even a Theodore Roosevelt 1912 kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, a four-way race would have been really interesting. I guess, on the other hand, the last time we had one of those in 1860, it didn't really go so well. Well, uh, but We ended uh, up with a good winner, but... <laughs> I just finished the, reading <laughs> reading a, a history and a short history of the um, one a chapter of a book I'm reading on the 1876 election with where the Republicans stole it from um, from Samuel Tilden. Right. They well, said, oh, but but if, is it really stealing if you sell it? Good point, Ted. I mean, Samuel Tilden <laughs> kind of sold the didn't he kind of the Democrats sold the presidency kind of in exchange for getting rid of reconstruction in the yes, South. Yeah, yeah. Rutherford B. Hayes um, agreed to pull the troops from the South, which was a huge mistake because there was a literal genocide going on of white. We're still we're still living with the consequences today. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how you would have managed that, but well, that's that's another podcast for another time, I guess. But let me just finish this about third parties. I'm tired of being castigated for, I voted third party a number of times, almost always uh, libertarian. And I'm just, and I know Ted shares my, share. we share this thought. Fuck you. <laughs> Anyone who gives me crap about voting third party. Eugene Debs, here's a conservative quoting Eugene Debs, who said, I would rather vote for something I want and not get it than vote for something I don't want and get it. I mean, it's not, doesn't roll trippingly from the tongue. That's exactly how I feel. People say, aren't you ashamed the Chicago Tribune endorsed Gary Johnson in the 2016 election? Aren't you ashamed of yourself? I go, I am absolutely not ashamed of that endorsement. I think it showed great courage. It showed great foresight. And it was intellectually the most honest thing we could have done. Did we get a crap a ton of crap ton of uh, you know shit for doing it? You bet. It was horrible. But I, I still stand by it today. And I stand by my vote today. And I know you stand by your vote for the Greens. 100%. I, I don't understand. I don't follow the logic that if you vote for a third party, you're wasting your vote. Um, I keep it simple. Keep it simple. You teach your kids when there's a school board, a school election for class president. You don't say, oh, try to figure out which of your classmates is most likely to win and then vote for that one. You say vote for the one you want to have win. That's it. it that's what democracy is. Just choose your favorite, vote for them. Uh, and and that's kind of the end of it. And, and in terms of, um, you know, the idea that you're wasting your vote. Well, at that rate, you know, there would be no Democratic or Republican Party if no one had ever supported and built third parties, because both of them were third parties when they began. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of like if we want anything different or better to ever emerge or evolve in the future, you've got to support some third parties sometimes. Um, otherwise, you're going to end up with an ossified system like they have in Japan, where there's effectively one party rule. We don't want that. Vote for the Whigs. Or that my personal favorite, the know nothings. The know nothings. <laughs> Millard Fillmore. <laughs> love. <Yeah. laughs> I just love the fact that we know this. And nobody else laughs at it because nobody knows what the hell we're talking about. But no, they don't. They have no <laughs> fucking idea. <laughs> but, so or, Tim and I will be at or cartoons. That have, or that or that I actually have the 1856 Millard Fillmore Know Nothing oh, for President so Campaign should, token. Ted Ted Rawls political item collection has grown exponentially over the last year and it is awesome. And I am so jealous 
because if I, you know, I, I, I think going through a divorce probably helped that because if I, if I told Janine, if I told Janine, I just dropped $3,000 on a, you know, well, then you'd be going through a divorce. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, because she's half Croatian and there are thrifty people. Well, that's, that's how they bought Serbia. Oh wait, that didn't happen, but no, they could. They could buy Serbia. Well, you could go. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. I think we've covered everything we meant to cover today. If you want to check out my stuff, please go to gocomics.com slash prickly city or gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis. All one word. Uh, I'm on, you know, the, the, the Twitters and the book of faces and all that stuff. And you can find me Scott Stantis. So Ted, where, 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 where can we find you? And, and the plane of jars. Um, I am also, so you can find me at tedrall.com, uh, R-A-L-L.com, and uh, whowhatwhy.org, and sputniknews.com. And let's not forget CounterPoint, which we both work for. Oh, right. CounterPoint is a newsletter uh, that you can subscribe to either for free or if you're uh, actually a cool person, paid. Um, and uh, you can uh, you can just Google CounterPoint editorial cartoons newsletter, and you will find out all about it. But Scott and I both have our cartoons in there, uh, along with a bunch of our uh, talented two colleagues. <laughs> Indeed. So for all of us here at DMZ America, thank you for listening to this edition. And until next time, we'll see you in the funny papers.